Hey everyone, welcome to the Whole Human Podcast. I'm Coach K, expert teacher turned master coach, and I'm changing the game in the health and fitness world. This podcast is where you learn real strategies to make your health support your life, not stifle it. This means that we dive deeper into the thoughts that create the actions and results that you want. No more battling your brain or your body, just the right steps and all the progress. Every episode has an actionable takeaway to make health fit you. So hit subscribe and I'll meet you here every Tuesday. Let's get after it. Welcome back to the Whole Human Podcast. This is episode 19 and it is part two of the Q&A. Last week, we covered your many, many questions on health and fitness. We busted some myths. I gave my opinions. I called out some bullshit. And honestly, thinking back on it, I gave you some pretty great advice and guidance on how to make your health fit you and to follow your patterns of what your body needs and to be able to make your own decisions and be a critical consumer of your own health life, which I think is really important. So I really liked last week's episodes. There was a lot in there. It's extremely dense. Um, If you haven't listened to it, go back and do that ASAP. You probably will want notes and to take notes. So you might need some pen and some post-its or a journal or something to write down a lot because there were a lot of questions that I answered. Today, though, um, for all of the questions that I got, I separated them kind of in two groups. One were, one was what we did last week with part one, which was health, fitness, nutrition, that kind of stuff. And then I got three questions um, about me, and they're a little bit loaded, and so I wanted to separate them and do them on their own. And so we are going a little bit deeper today. And I'll be honest, I started usually before I do every episode, I kind of make an outline on my computer just to kind of go over and make sure I touch on the different things that I want to say. And I got a little bit shaky thinking, ooh, I'm going to share some stuff that today that I have not shared publicly, especially in this way before. And there have been a few times on uh, Instagram, on my stories, where I've talked a little bit about my childhood. I'd probably say like, four total times. So not very much. And people who know me well might have heard some of this, but there are things that I'm going to say that have taken years of courage and years of work for me to be able to say them out loud. So in a way, I feel proud. And in a way, it shows that um, I've grown a lot and I've gotten past a lot of things. So I feel really good about that. But we'll start with a warm-up question. The first question asked about me was, with what you know now, what would you tell younger Kayla when she started her fitness journey? And this question, I realized, is actually hard and it's easy. The reason why it's hard is because I wouldn't be where I am today without the quote-unquote mistakes or trials or experiments that younger Kayla did and the way that she learned. And I really believe that I am a much better teacher and coach because I have actively walked through so many different experiences in my health journey. And I've really built my knowledge on those experiences and what and the studies that I've done. And because I didn't know things, I had to study them. And because I love to read and love to learn and I'm a lifelong learner, I studied them in depth. But I wouldn't have done that if I would have just already known or not have had, you know, 
those battles and roadblocks. And so I wouldn't go back and change anything, I think is what I'm saying. But if I did have to give younger Kayla some advice, um, the thing that I would say is this. In your health journey, know this. And, and this won't be a surprise to you if you've been around Whole Human at all or you're a member of Whole University or you're in my world because this is what I've created and this is how I coach. But the advice would be this. Your health and your fitness is only about you. And in order to be successful, you need to think about what you want. You need to think about what you truly want, not what you think you should. Don't worry about anybody else and their ideas. And then I want you to think about what you feel. I want you to look at how you felt. And I want you to ask yourself if that's aligning to what you will feel. So I would tell younger Kayla, what do you actually want? Not what other people think you should. What will actually make you happy? And then I would tell her that all it's about is not doing what other people are doing, but do what you know in your body. Research, try, that's fine, but only pick the things that feel good to you and move you forward. There were so many times I tried so many things that I thought I should try. And there are so many times, and, and most of those things— I would say, uh, were me giving up things that I loved. And so I knew in my gut, probably both figuratively and literally, but I knew that I didn't want to give those things up. Like, I think I've told stories before. I remember smelling brownies because I wasn't supposed to eat one, right? It's like, no, Kayla, look at the things you want. You want the brownie. So look at the patterns. How does that make you feel? How does that get you your result? And just create adjustments along the way. That's what I would tell me. I would say, look at your own patterns. Look at how your body's feeling and make all your choices on that. Don't look at that girl over there who's really skinny. Don't look at that girl over there and say, what is she eating? Don't look at that person at the gym. I remember very specifically looking at girls at the gym and being like, man, they're not even sweating, but their body is perfect. How do I do that? And so what did I do? Go to the gym and try not to sweat and end up with a perfect body. That shit doesn't work. Looking at other people doesn't work. Do you listen to your body, listen to your mind, find your patterns and stick with them. That's what I would tell younger Kayla. But also, because I'm here and because I'm helping hundreds of other people do that, I wouldn't have changed my journey because I know what it's like to be that person and I know what it's like to get out of that. And that's what whole university is all about. It's very specific in making your health fit you so that you're not looking at that girl at the gym saying, I want to look like her, so I'm going to do what she does. Mimicry is a part of it, but it will only take you so far. Um, okay, Awesome. The next question, and this is the loaded one, and this is where I think many of the minutes are going to sit on this podcast. This question I really, really loved, and the person who submitted this was actually very nice. They're like, you don't have to answer this on the podcast if it makes you uncomfortable. But the question was basically, how do you feel your experiences with your family and your childhood have changed you for the better or made you a stronger person and a business owner? But they also asked, how do you not let them also define you? And I think this is very interesting. And what I love about this person who's asking this, and, and I believe they're asking it for themselves because I think that they are dealing with this. And I will say that the very first thing that's amazing is the awareness around the way they ask this question because it shows me that they want to 
not be defined by their childhood or by their other experiences in life. And they do want to use them to become a, or to like capitalize on the strengths that they might've built in what they're going through. And what I love about this is this is the opposite of a victim mentality, which so many people have in so many different reasons. And, and I think that a victim mentality is almost like a human default setting. And so I don't think that anyone on the planet is like just naturally not being a victim of something. I think that's just how the world works. It's how the cookie crumbles. Um, And so the way this question was asked, I want to give kudos to the asker. Um, And obviously I'm not going to say who they are for privacy, but kudos to the asker because that's really hard. When you grow up and what I have seen in my siblings, and I'm going to tell some of my story and what I see in my siblings and the big difference, people ask me all the time, how am I different than all of my siblings, is that my siblings stayed in victim mentality and they didn't get out of there and they didn't take ownership. And that really changed the trajectory of my life and their lives and changes who they are as adults and where they get as adults. Um, But when you're a victim, it's hard to see that you are. It just sucks really, really bad. But the way that that question was asked really proved that this person is working really hard to not let that be part of their reality. And that's difficult. So kudos, kudos, kudos. So I think in order to describe how my family and childhood has changed me for the better or made me stronger or how I let it define me or not define me, I think you have to know about my childhood. And sharing my childhood has, kind of like the last question, been hard and easy for me. It was easy for me in the way that a big coping mechanism for me, and if you know me in person and maybe when I say this, you'll realize this about my personality, but is I don't feel emotions. At a very young age, when everything started with my family, I would say, like, and if you would see me, you'll see me do a lot of air quotes because I'm going to say things bluntly and um, just kind of put them out there. But my life was quote unquote good. That's the air quotes up until about the time I was like five years old. And so after that, that's kind of when things changed. But up until, you know, once things started changing at five, I didn't allow myself to really feel emotions. The only emotion, and this is probably the one you recognize that I allowed myself to feel for many, 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 many years, like up until I turned 20, like seven, (laughs) um, was excitement. I didn't allow myself to feel sadness. I didn't allow myself to feel anger. I didn't allow myself to feel those things um, in my childhood. So in a way, it's really easy. I got very easy at saying things with zero emotion and letting the words and the actions of my childhood just come out of my mouth and not feel them. Um, But it's hard because since about the age of 27, so... Um, I'm 35 now, Um, I have worked really hard to feel the emotions and to work past them. And I don't think that work is ever, ever, ever done, like ever. But I do think that I'm in a place where after doing that for so long, I do feel so much stronger and I do feel more confident and where I can share, which is why I'm willing to answer this question on the podcast today. So Let's get after my childhood. Obviously, in one podcast, I am not going to be able to cover everything. Um, And my friends and the people who know the story do believe I should write a book. And I was actually talking to somebody about it last night. But um, so I do think that that is in my future. But here are some general things. So around, you know, like I said, age of five is when things started to get a little bit crazy. 
<laughs> or whatever the word is. See, I'm just going to say things that just roll off. Not crazy, but not good. Um, my dad and my dad and my mom, both of each other were their second marriages. So my mom had three kids with her first husband, and then she had three kids with my dad. And my older siblings, her first ones are much older than us. So my oldest brother is about 20 years older than me. So there's a big age gap between the first three and the second three. And I don't know my dad's uh, side, the kids on his side. All in all, I think that makes six, seven, seven or eight of us, but I don't know the ones on my dad's side. Um, but my dad was really physically abusive, very physically abusive. Um, I could give you more examples to illustrate that than I ever would need to. And there are things that I see often still, just like randomly when you close your eyes. But to express the severity, he almost killed my mom. He strangled her until she was unconscious on our front porch in our neighborhood and left her there to sit. Uh, so obviously it was very severe. My mom was very much not brave enough as many women are in that. And I don't say not brave enough to belittle her, but it's very scary to try to leave him. She didn't know how to support her kids on her own. And she got zero help from, uh, like the police, they did nothing. They didn't care. There was multiple times, multiple times in my entire childhood, all the way up to, you know, me being in middle school or high school where we tried to get the police to help us and we never, never, never were given assistance. Um, so that is the childhood that I lived, like very young being with my dad. He was very abusive. Again, many things. And so my parents separated, um, and we started living separate. My mom started dating another guy. They were eventually divorced. And when my parents were divorced, my mom allowed my younger brother to choose along with, we went to family counseling, but along with family counseling, and maybe they didn't understand the depth to my dad, or I don't know if the 90s were just a weird place, but they allowed my little brother to choose where he wanted to live. They allowed all of us, all three of us to say, you know, where do you want to go? And me and my sister chose to live with my mom, and my little brother chose to live with my dad, which I think is ridiculous. And so he stayed with my dad. My mom, my sister, and I, my mom wanted to move closer to her sister, my aunt, and so she moved us to northern Minnesota. So it was us with my mom and her boyfriend. My mom worked three jobs almost always. My mom's boyfriend and her became major alcoholics when we lived in Minnesota. I don't know if it's because we were in a small town and there was nothing else to do, but they just drank at the bar every single night. And that's why my mom ended up having to you know, work three jobs is literally to fund that because I don't know what else we were spending our money on. Um, but my mom's boyfriend then was not as physically abusive as my dad, but he was very emotionally abusive. And every night he would come home and he would come into our rooms and well, my mom would come into my room and I think it's because she was scared and she didn't want to get hurt. And I think that if she felt she was near the kids, um, he wouldn't hurt her. And so he would stand outside and like yell and scream at us up until, you know, I don't know, eventually he like went to go to sleep or whatever. But that was like a, a nightly thing. There were a couple times where he did put his hands on my mom, try to like push her down the stairs. And we were the family in the neighborhood. Like there weren't in the town that we lived at in Minnesota, there were not even police officers in the town. That's how small it was. And so we were the family who always had to call the police from the next town to come over. And they were always at our house. And because the town was so small, everybody knew. And 
that's where, you know, things I think I was old enough to really see and experience and have like active participation in this, like being the people who call the police, you know, helping my sister call 911 on my mom's boyfriend because she thought that, you know, after watching our dad that we thought that our mom might get hurt or things like that. And this is also where we did a lot of like, we would run away. Like run away as in my mom would grab us. We'd be barefooted with no clothes, run and live in our car for a week because we had nowhere else to go. We would miss school. We'd miss whatever it was. And we'd just be sleeping on the side of the road in a van. This is also when we lived in a women's shelter for a month in a totally different town that was far away from where he was. My mom would get multiple restraining orders and then get back with him and this in and out. We lived with him when we had restraining orders or then when we got a restraining order, we had no house to live in. We had nowhere to go because he was in the house. And, you know, it was just, it was really complicated for my mom. And as a child, it was just kind of like, I have no idea what's going on. But at this time, because my mom worked three jobs, I also started taking care of myself. My sister and I started cooking our own meals when I was in like second grade. My mom even told me, you know, at that age, she was like, and I can understand why she was pretty exhausted, but she was like, I don't want to take care of kids anymore. I'm like done being a mom. She told me that when I was very, very young. And so kind of taking care of myself for a very long time. We moved back to Oregon or during this time also, uh, my brother was living with my dad. And as you can imagine with how my dad was to my mom, he did not stop. And my dad was like that to all of the kids previous to the divorce. And then he just had my brother to let his temper out on all the time. And so that was very, very difficult when we were living in Minnesota. My brother was alone with my dad and we would get calls all the time um, of my brother being scared because he did something bad at school and he didn't want to go home and a bunch of things like this that were very scary and out of our control. So we moved back to Oregon when I was in middle school. We moved back with zero money. My mom was breaking up with her boyfriend. They were on and off for a while, but I think at this point she'd broken off. We moved back to Oregon and it was a total culture shock. So even though I'd lived in Oregon until first grade, living in Minnesota was a very small town. There, we were like farming <laughs> and riding bikes. And even though everything inside my house was going on and that was very scary, things outside of my house were just like, I don't know, like if you imagine just free little kids biking around all day in the summer. Um, and then we moved back to Oregon and where we lived in Oregon, we lived in a town called Springfield. And when a way that I'll describe my neighborhood, the bus stop that I waited on to go to school was a meth house. And so I sat on the front porch of a meth house every single day. So that's the neighborhood that I lived in when we moved back. So it was very, very culture shock. And I remember learning about like kids drinking and stuff like that and just being floored like, whoa, but we are kids. And um, I picked up those habits when I was there. It was a totally different world. I got into drugs and drinking in middle school. The summer after seventh grade, I went back to Minnesota by myself because when we moved to Oregon, we didn't bring any of our stuff. It was like a surprise. We went to visit my grandma. We just stayed. And so I actually went back alone to Minnesota and packed up our house and got it put on a shipping truck and had it sent back. And then I rode the train back for three days by myself. But being back in Oregon, I just started mixing into drugs, drinking, and running away from home and hanging out with people and that I didn't need to be when I was in seventh grade. And all of that kind of ended at the point where, the, like, this is truly honestly what changed that and what made me, I remember very actively 
I could never do sports because we never had money. I could never be part of a team. When we were in Minnesota for a little bit, we would like kind of dabble in things, but we couldn't afford it. Like we were just so poor this whole time. Even though my mom was working three jobs because they were spending all of their money on alcohol, it'd be like we were eating top ramen so that she could go to the bar and stuff. And so moving back to Oregon, it was worse because it was just my mom and she didn't have that second income from her boyfriend anymore. And so- money was even tighter then. And so I was definitely unable to ever participate in sports. And in high school, we got a transfer to not go to the high school that was in our neighborhood or in our boundaries, but to go to the other one, the quote unquote, nice high school. And they had a dance team. And in order to be on the dance team, surprise, surprise, you couldn't do drugs and you couldn't drink. So I was like, okay, well, I'm quitting because I want to join dance team because the dance team, you could earn your way on. Like you could earn money and earn sponsorships to be on dance team. And so I had the opportunity to do a sport and I was so excited. And so when I started high school at this other high school, we used to have to ride the city bus there since we were out of bounds. But um, when I started high school there, the summer before I could be on dance team, because you couldn't your freshman year. So between So I drank all the way through, I think like halfway through freshman year is when I quit. Um, But that summer before, I walked up and down the streets of Springfield into every single local business and was like, hello, my name is Kayla. I would like to be on dance team. Will you sponsor me? And in my first year on dance team, I had the second most sponsors out of anybody on my 50 person team. I think there's like 40 or 50 girls on the team and I had the second most sponsors. The only reason why is because it's the only way that I could do it. Um, So high school though was still, we weren't living with an abusive man in our house anymore. So that was a relief, but That did not mean that I wasn't living with my mom who was still an alcoholic, who was victim of abuse and therefore just victim in life. And that didn't make it easier. My mom, again, it was one income. She was a single mom and she did not make a lot of money. My mom brought home $1,200 like a month to raise all of us. Not like in the 50s or something. I graduated high school in 2005. So my mom made like about 16000 or something a year. Is that the correct math? And was trying to support me, my sister, and herself. I'm sure our rent was like $800. So then we had no other money. My dad paid $100 per child for child support. So you can say we were definitely very literally living far below the poverty level of when they say the amount of income that it takes to support a family. We were very, very far below it. In high school, my mom filed bankruptcy. Um, Embarrassing things happened. I had a couple like friends over for my birthday and our car got repossessed while they were there when we were going to all go watch a movie. And so- Life growing up was pretty difficult. This is when I tried to get back into contact with my dad um, and definitely got back into contact with my brother. So my brother who had stayed with my dad when I'd moved back to Oregon, we started seeing him more. But this is where he's younger than me and he had started making more severe choices. When he was probably in third grade, he started really acting out, which makes sense. And he would do things like blow up porta potties or I just remember that being the very first thing and being like, oh my God, what the fuck is happening over there? But by the time I was in high school, he was doing very severe things that gave him jail time. And I would visit him and support him when he wasn't in jail. I was the person that he would call at 3 a.m. to go pick him up or to take him here or to take him there. Um, 
he also, and this, this is a story I shared on Instagram before he had like started to really get into selling drugs. Um, we eventually, when he lived with us for a while, our house became the house where people went to buy cocaine. So that was like a thing that happened with me growing up is my brother sold cocaine out of my house. Drug dealers would come. I remember him hiding upstairs and drug dealers would come. And I think it was the person who came was his connect because he was the dealer for the person who like gave all the cocaine to him and then he sold it to a bunch of people and then he was supposed to pay back the other people. They came and I was just sitting downstairs by myself and they were just like trying to break into the house. And I remember they looked back and I they saw me through the window and then they left. And I think they just assumed like, because if you enter a house and you are armed and there's somebody in there, it's technically, I believe, attempted murder. And I'm assuming that's what made them want to leave um, and to leave me alone. So none of this stopped like, early in my childhood. And as I grew up and left high school, I got into college and that was really exciting. I was the first one to go to college outside of high school out of all six of us. Um, My older brother, one of the first three, he went, the Marines put him through school and that's really awesome. Um, But so it was just a different experience. And when I did that, that was really hard. My siblings didn't like that I did that. And they told me that out loud to my face that, you know, and it made me feel excluded. It made me feel not part of the family. And from that time on, I felt really different and I felt really alone. And there would be things where, you know, if I got invited to go back over Christmas, I would go back and all my my mom and all my siblings would be like getting high together. And they would be like, no, don't tell Kayla, hide it from Kayla. And so it became a really just like different experience where I felt like no one understood me. And I was the only one because I wasn't part of my family anymore because I went to college, but I was definitely not like anybody at my college because most people go to college, don't grow up the way that I did. And so what I find though interesting about my childhood and interesting about my life is a little bit about that piece right there is most people who grew up like I did don't get the opportunities that somehow I have had. And most people are not familiar, but when I eventually became a teacher, there was a day where, and I'd been familiar with this before, but we were learning about childhood ACEs and ACEs are adverse childhood experiences. And there's 10 of them. And if you have a score of four, so four out of the 10 or higher, you are significantly at risk for not being able to learn to read or having problems in school, having health problems later in your life, becoming an alcoholic yourself or becoming addicted to drugs yourself. And I remember sitting in um, one of our staff meetings where we're learning about this and they made us everybody take the test. And this is something I have not admitted to very many people, but When I took that test, I got a 10 out of a 10. I had every childhood ace. And this was in, I think like 2019. And I'm sitting in this room full of adults who maybe got like, I mean, normally if you get four, you don't really go to college. So everybody in that room was college educated. And I just like could not help. I was just like silently crying. And I remember going on a run after that and being like, holy shit, I had no idea. Even then, as an adult, I had no idea how hard my childhood was because during all of that time, I always focused on what is something I can feel excited about? How can I avoid this hard feeling? How can I avoid how hard 
this is. And people ask me all the time, how did you get out when your siblings didn't, right? So my siblings, a lot of them are still struggling. Maybe they don't have consistent jobs or, you know, different things. Um, my brother for sure is still having a lot of jail time. Um, he's back in jail for a long time now for murder. And so, you know, things really escalated. And one of the things that I, I've never quite been able to answer that question is why did I have a resiliency that my siblings didn't? Because we had the same parents, we had the same happening. My brother obviously lived with my dad and that was very extreme and very, very different. But this year, just this year, I was reading a Tony Robbins book and one of the things that he was talking about were successful people and the idea of limiting beliefs versus like an abundant belief, right? And what I realized about myself is that I didn't have either. What happens to most people who grow up in poverty and have that experience is like, that's all we see. So we believe that's what life is. Just like people who grow up in abundance and grow up with a loving family, they see love and they're like, oh, that's what's in the world. And I didn't believe either. I didn't know that there was love in the world. I didn't know that there was love until I met John to be perfectly honest. Um, but I also wasn't feeling, I didn't have the feeling that I was limited to what I was in. I didn't know what there was, but I knew there was something else because I knew I didn't like what was happening. And so in my life, something else, you know, aside of the struggles that I went through, something that I think is unique about my life is I've experienced a lot of different things. So as you've heard, I've lived in complete white trash, like, drug houses and things like that. I've lived, when I lived in Minnesota, I lived in farmland. And I had friends who I would stay the night at their house and I stayed at a lot of friends' houses because my house wasn't very fun. But I would milk cows with them at 4 a.m. in the morning. I learned how to ride horses and do work on the farm, right? Um, my first husband's family was upper middle class and I got to experience that. I was like, whoa, what is this house with two living spaces and, you know, like a three or four car garage and like, look at your backyard and how it's neat. And like, you have time to like mow it and whoa, what's a facial? What's a massage? Like I learned so much other stuff. And now, you know, and then I even living in Minnesota versus living in Oregon gave me so much varied experience. I lived in Taiwan when I was studying abroad in college. And then also I've, learned the struggle of paying for myself. I've learned on, you know, living on $66 for a month. I've also learned on trying, or not learned, I've also experienced trying to keeping up with the Joneses when I was in a sorority and seeing their lives. And I was, I've, unlike most people who grew up like me, and I think unlike most people in general, I have seen and not just seen, but also experienced a lot. And I think that that has made me who I am today for sure, and is a strength to directly answer the question, how has that made me a stronger person, is one just experience. Um, but to kind of finish off my story, I guess, about my childhood is, is that I'm still not out of my childhood. I'm still not out of this. As we all know, I still deal just like anybody would with my childhood every day, but not just in the emotional aspect of it and how that changes my personal relationships, like my marriage and my friendships or my belief in the world, but my life and my family are still around. And it's still dramatic because like I said, they are still the same and they're still living with a lot of the similar things in their lives. So in 2021, just a couple years ago, is one of the hardest years of my life. And we dealt with my brother, um, 
trying to, he got out of jail early when he wasn't expecting to, and then back into jail for a bunch of different reasons. We had to try to get him into rehab. He was clean. He overdosed on heroin and actually died. And then they brought him back to life because it was like a 30 minute like window in which if somebody overdoses that you can give them, there's like a specific, I don't know, I can't remember the name of what it is, but it like wakes you back up like that adrenaline shot thing that they punch into your chest and he brought back to life, but then he was suicidal because he was trying to die. And you know, it's really complicated. Life is still really complicated. My childhood does not go away. My something else that we live with every single day is also things like my brother turned out that we learned after I married John. And for those of you who don't know me personally or haven't seen me on Instagram, John is half black, half Mexican. So we are an interracial couple. And I didn't know until I was planning on being with John for the rest of life, but that my dad and my brother are were not okay with that. And that being my brother who he is and being somebody who's as violent as he is and as dangerous as he is, we have a legitimate fear of my brother coming and doing something very violent to us every single day. That's something that we think about. Like we feel safer with my brother in jail, but when he's out of jail, we're also really nervous and we don't like him having our address and things like that. So it never goes away, right? Our childhood never, never does. But I'll conclude with all of this by saying it has absolutely made me a stronger person. Going through that, experiencing that, having to practice even down to the point of, right, going and trying to get sponsorships so I could be on dance team absolutely made me a stronger person. I know about hard work. Living on $66 a day made me be really intentional. It created me, not a day, a month, made me be very intentional with how I wanted to spend my money. Doing things like opening a credit card and trying to keep up with the Joneses in my sorority, like that taught me a lot too about what I truly want in life and the things that really make me important. And did that make me feel good? No. So choosing what I want to. But beyond that, I believe that I understand more people, like a wider type of people on a deeper level. I believe that I have more empathy and more compassion for people. I believe that I understand things that other people never, ever will. I know that I am more open-minded than the average or probably even the above average person because I've experienced so much. I've been told by numerous people numerous times that my story is not like real life, but it's like a book or a movie or something you see on TV. And... It is. It is. And that's not, and because of that, most people don't comprehend that or grow from that in the same way. It's not the average life experience. So my understanding is different. And this is something that I even see in the students that I work with and the one-on-one clients and the people that I have that I work on life coaching with them. I will be told from so many different types of people like, wow, you like actually truly understand me. And I think that that's very different. And I think that that's very unique. I know it's different. I know it's unique. And I know it's because I've had varied experiences growing up. And because how hard my childhood is has taught me resiliency, perseverance. It has taught me open-mindedness. It has taught me how to look at people in a different way and to adopt other people's perspectives. People would never look at someone like my brother and wonder what he's thinking. People look at someone like my brother and they think he needs to just go to jail. What an awful person. No one stops to think about 
How could we help him? How could we make things better? Who is he really like inside? And those are things that I think we just have to experience and see to understand that perspective. And I think that it's made seeing other people's perspectives much easier for me, which is a huge integral part of what I do as a coach and as a teacher. And that's how I can make everything unique for all of my clients is I strive to see their perspective and I'm open to it. And so often, even just think about just health coaching, nobody cares about anybody else's perspective. They're like, do this, this, and this. (laughs) Like, they don't care. And I do. It has taught me to care so deeply about each and every person regardless of what they do. Now, the other question was, how do I not let it define me? And my question for this very specifically for the person is, why let it define you? So for the person who asked, why let it define you? And why not let it define you? I think that that's the limiting belief that you are what your family does. I am a totally different person. I, I will admit that I used to be really defined by poverty. I really used to let that define me. I struggled with that and I still do um, to the point where I could, I, I have a hard time even recognizing my own success and thinking about, you know, I still will live in that poverty mindset or when I bought my Beamer, I was afraid to drive it home because I was embarrassed for my family to see it versus I should be really fucking proud or I was embarrassed. I didn't relate to when we bought our condo downtown. Our condo downtown cost $500,000 when we bought it. Like that blows my fucking mind. Like blows my mind. I can still hardly believe that we own this place. And so I would really struggle driving out of my condo downtown in my Beamer because I would fear that people would look at me and say, oh, she's just an entitled little white rich girl. And like, she's always had that. And I so struggled with, I, I am proud of what I've made it through. And I felt like I just want to shout out the window, like, I worked hard for this. I worked hard for this. I'm not who you think I am. And it took a long time for me to just say, you know, but you know what, Kayla, you are the person who does actually, well, I don't own a Beamer anymore because my car accident, but you are the person who owns this condo. You are the person who bought that Beamer. Like you are that person. So I do think, It will always define me, but the new parts of me also define me. My childhood can't be the only thing that defines me. I want it to define me because I did work so hard, right? But I also am working hard right now in different ways, and that also defines me. And that just builds my experience. But on that same hand too, I am nothing like my brother is a murderer, and that means nothing to me. And what I do, look at what I can do in the world because I understand that and because I'm allowing that to be part of my life, but not who I am. When I was a teacher, look at the children who I was able to teach, who grew up in situations like my brother. When I was a teacher, that was really important to me that I taught in low income. I taught students who did not have good relationship with their parents or any role models because maybe their parents were also working three jobs or they were single moms or they had to, you know, be adopted by their grandma who also adopted like all of their other six siblings. That was the community that I wanted to work in because I could listen to them and talk to them and make them feel heard and seen in a way no adult ever could before for them because they didn't understand. And I could listen to them and talk to them and make them feel seen and heard so that they wouldn't grow up and be like my brother, but I couldn't do that if that wasn't part of me, right? If I didn't have that experience. 
So the only way I allowed it, I allow it to define me is in a way that makes me better and more understanding of the world. But I don't allow it to define me in a way that limits me and makes me less. And no matter how hard that choice is, I do think that that is a choice. Long question. Thank you for listening to that and allowing me to be extremely vulnerable. I am so open to answer any more questions about that. Um, But I do want to move on to the third question. I think it ties in perfectly is where do you see yourself in 10 years? So with just hearing about all my past life, I love the idea of following it up with this question. So I think it's really awesome that somebody gave me this. And I love the idea of that's where I've been. And then talking about how that made me who I am. And so where am I going to take that experience and everything that I am? And what am I going to do with it in the future? And so I was actually just dreaming up my dream life over the weekend again. And I do it often because I think, one, it's super fun. Two, it's something like, like I said, living here in this condo is something I never imagined for myself. And so it's been crazy to just make up shit that I can imagine in the future. So where do I see myself in 10 years? I am traveling so much. I can buy a plane ticket anywhere I want to go at any time. And I'm always in first class because I want to be bougie like that. I've worked so hard to get out of having to be in white trash and go to like only dive bars. You are not finding me there, right? You are finding me in the bougie places. I fly and flying internationally, domestically, all of that. Whole human is helping thousands of people each year become better and reach their goals. That is what I see in 10 years for sure. I have courses that my students can take on their own. They have coaching support from me still. I want to be in it and teaching no matter how, like, until, I don't know, whenever I guess I retire. Um, And I've also trained other coaches to help and to give this same support that I can to people. Whole University has more than just the health course. There's multiple courses in there. Um, The health is just going to be the first one. I still do group coaching. I do very little one-on-one coaching. I just save that for um, really private clients. In 10 years, I'm hosting conferences and I'm speaking at them and hundreds and thousands of people come to them to learn and to get a little bit better every day. My book is out and people love it and are moved by it and inspired by it. John and I own a penthouse with a view. I frequently take my friends out to dinner. One of my dreams is to take like like 10 of my friends out to dinner at one time and just be like, oh, I've got it. And just buy everybody dinner. I want to do things like I'm sending flowers to all my friends on their birthdays. And John and I are cuddling our kittens and looking at our view and doing a lot of things that we really love, like moving. Maybe I'm running. Maybe I'm working out. Whatever it is, I'm staying. Moving. Maybe, I don't know, I get into hiking by then. Probably not. Are we in the Pacific Northwest? I don't necessarily think so in 10 years. Definitely somewhere where there's more sunshine. But in 10 years, I'm still really, really helping people. And I'm helping more and more people every single year. And then personally, I'm traveling. I'm still reading like at least 20 books a year. And John and I are happy and in love with our kittens and a view. So that's where I see myself in the future. This is probably the longest podcast I have done yet and that I ever plan on doing. I hope that you really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for all of these questions um, for both Q&A part one and part two. I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Whole Human Podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. I would love for you to head over to my Instagram at itskaylajury and introduce yourself. 
literally, please slide into my DMs. Getting to know you, the listener, is what will make these episodes even more special. I can't wait to hear from you.